You are listening to Paolo DiMarco Podcast with Alan Campbell. Welcome to the Paolo DiMarco Podcast. Today on the show, we're interviewing Jury. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Um, I'm just in a quarantine hotel. It's a uh... It's my sixth day, so I got uh, eight days to go. So yeah, I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you, and thanks for having me. No problem. So, what have you been doing for the past few days, seeing you've been in, inside of your room? Oh, you know, uh, uh, I was getting over the jet lag, and um, because I had to, I had to travel to Europe, and you know, it's a long flight. And when I go back, you know, I have a lot of books with me. As a sommelier, you never stop studying, so I have like 22 books, and. Uh, you know, some of them are really, really thick, so I'm going through through them, and that's good. You know, like sometimes it's good to have a bit of time for your own and <laughs> studying, I guess. Well, so the studying never ends. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I think it's a it's a, a life journey to be a sommelier. You know, you there. There's so many, um, <laughs> so many, so many informations you need to enhance uh, every day, and yeah, yeah, definitely uh, studying for life. The first question I'd like to ask you is, when did you start your career as a sommelier? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I completed some of my initial sommelier courses uh, while working for Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Prague. And um, a few years later, I was fortunate to open a cognac bar as the bar manager and sommelier as a part of the prestigious award-winning restaurant within the Golden Well Hotel in Prague. So, yeah, um, that's where it all started for me, uh, probably 10 years ago, something like that, 2011. Yeah. What was the education like? Uh, education for to be sommelier? Becoming... Uh, yeah, uh, you know, like a lot of courses. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been always, um, I've been always interested in that wine topics. So, like um, the beginner courses were um, quite, quite easy for me, as they were like a fundamental in, information how wine is made and, and etc. and the regions and everything. But then, you know, it was progressing to like higher levels. So then I had to, then I had to really, really study hard for that. And yeah. So when you're studying for it, what does it entail? Do you do a lot of testing, like uh, wine testing, or do oh, you, you read you most do, of it? Yeah, absolutely. You do a lot of wine tasting, which is the 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 uh, I think most pleasant part of the studying, and it's always it's always good when the courses are guided with the wine tasting so you you look for the uh, nuances in wine when someone tells you what you should look in there and that makes it easier that's how you build your senses as well and your taste and you know at the end of when you when you're doing the exams you usually get a blind um, blind tasting so then you you guess where you know what wine it is uh, what region it's from and that's always fun and you know that's uh, that's something where you have to uh, improve on all the time. So it's good. It's getting a bit more tricky nowadays, as um, you, you know, you have this term called um, uh, flying winemakers, for example. You know, like winemakers from New Zealand, they they fly to Bordeaux, you know, and learn their techniques and stuff, and they bring it back to New Zealand and they implement that technique to New Zealand and the wine style, and then. When you have a, for example, when you have the blind tasting and you have those, uh, you know, those uh, tricky parts in, in, for example, in that New Zealand wines. And uh, yeah, it, it's becoming more harder to do blind tasting nowadays, but it's still, it's still a lot of fun. So when you were doing the blindfold test, what are the, 
main notes that you were looking for. And also, are you using the sense of smell and taste? Or what is the percentage that you're using? Um, Absolutely. Uh, like, firstly, you, you, uh, uh, you observe the wine. So you, you see the color of the wine. And then if that has a rim, if you, if you see the aging potential and the color, if it's clear, you know, and then... Um, then you use your smell so that you get your initial um, <clears throat> initial flavors, your um, flavors in uh, through your nose, and then uh, then you taste, and it's sort of connected. So without without smell, you wouldn't have your taste. So it's very connected to. But some of the flavors you get on on your nose, and some of the other flavors you get um, you get on your taste, and then um, it goes together most of the time. In your bio, it states that you started at age 15. What mm -hmm. made it, What motivated you to start this career? Oh, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess my family. You know, um, my family loved um, cooking so much. They still do. You know, it was like a chef's show. You know, on the telly all the time. And my grandma was a good chef too. Like um, she she worked as a chef. And um, and you know the Chef's presentation while growing up influenced my decision to embark on a career in hospitality for sure. Uh, I was 14 when I had to choose what um, I would study whenever it would be a trade or university. And I felt that signing up for culinary school would make my family proud. I think, yeah. So so family, definitely. Did you feel any pressure? Uh, not really pressure. I was, I was still a kid, you know, and uh, I played soccer a lot and then yeah, when it, when it came to um, you know uh, to make that decision, so and yeah, I, I felt really proud to do it. Yeah, it, it was a little bit of pressure because I remember all my family like pretty much every week they would, they would be asking me what what I learn if I if I'm confident to cook on on Sunday lunch and you know and like for the family because that's a big deal in in our family to to cook for whole family. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it was a little bit of pressure as as a kid, you know, still being a fifteen year old, and you learning you learning the basics, and then you have to end up like wowing a family who are really who have a high standards. Yes, so that was a little bit of pressure. You arrived at that for sure. <laughs> yeah, some some raised eyebrows and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think especially my dad. He was uh, quite critical, and he never really. He never ever really uh, stayed back, and he would tell you, "Oh, this is crap," you know, <laughs> that, that sauce is burnt or something. He definitely would be that person, yeah. Mm, but I, I think that is one of the positives with that as well, because whenever I'm collaborating with other content creators and they're looking at my work and giving me criticism, I always mm -hmm. think it's great. Like I, I would always prefer to have criticism than not criticism. Absolutely, like I'm, I'm taking. I'm taking it like that as well, you know, especially when I'm older, you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, oh, you get a little bit anxious about it as well because you're young and, you know, you don't know how to deal with that. But like definitely nowadays, like if someone gives me um, a bit of like a negative feedback or any feedback, I always take it and I learn from there and go from there and it's so valuable. You need it. Definitely you need it. Studying culinary and hospitality management what did you learn from it? Well, uh, firstly, I learned that it's not walking the park, you know, fundamental sacrifice. Uh, uh, I discovered early on that you have to go 
to work when other people get to go and have fun. You know? So uh, I learned that this career had to be driven by true passion for the industry and it would involve long, long, long hours and pretty much all the weekends spent at work, including Christmas holidays and New Year's Eve, you know, like you would, you would, we would be there all the time. So, and, you know, and then, you know, while I enjoy the studying component of culinary and hospitality management, the internship I undertook through those five years uh, gave me a good indication of what my career would look like and what I wanted to become, basically. Yeah. Where did you start your career? Uh, as I mentioned, my bio, um, uh, I, start, I started with my st studies at the age of 15 and the restaurant right next to the Prague Castle. There was a, there was a really nice historic restaurant with traditional Czech cuisine. So that's where I started. Uh, that, that was my first job, I can say. And, but, you know, I was hopeless. I was still a kid. But eventually I learned the basics and um, I, fell off, uh, I fell in love with the industry. So you started in a Prague castle. Yeah. Have you ever been to Prague? No, no, not yet. But I really want to when yeah. the borders open up. Yeah, yeah, definitely you go. And, yeah, that's just pretty much next to it, maybe 100 meters from that. There's, um, um, it's a part of the heritage um, heritage side of um, Prague and um, it has a beautiful cellars and really nice restaurant and I always go there when I when I visit Prague when I go I try to go once a year and you know it brings all the memories <laughs> what is the best hotel or restaurant that you've worked for and why um well yeah um this question is a little bit tricky um um I always um yeah I wouldn't I, would, I think I, I wouldn't really um, name it uh, it's just um, uh, all, all of them were really great I mean like uh, I work with a lot of creative chefs and, and historic buildings and with beautiful wine cellars and um, yeah it, it's hard to choose I mean yeah hard to choose like all of them were great and um, I, I, most importantly I met a lot of um, great senior mentors who really helped me and um, I think without them, I wouldn't be where I'm now. What about the most experience? Most experience, I think, I think um, it would be Mandarin Oriental in Prague. As um, um, I kind of progress there as a car in my career, I was a you know head bartender, then manager, then um, work as a sommelier, and, um, and then I got an internship at Mandarin Oriental in New York through them. So that company really, really helped me to strive, I think. So in your wine pairing with a new dish that just came out on the menu, what are the new things that you were looking for? Um, so, uh, that, you know, there are a few rules to implement when, you, when, you, uh, when you're pairing the wine whether it's like acidity of the dish with the acidity of the wine or, you know, you have the tannins in the wine, like um, the, the bitter part of the wine. It's a really good cleanser of the um, fat dishes, for example. But, you know, you have, nowadays you, um, you have umami flavors, so you, you look for, for that as well. And then um, it's up to you if you decide to match if you if you decide to match the flavors of the dish with flavors of the wine or if you do the contrast which is my favorite thing so you you're basically matching 
the flavors of the dish and flavors of the wine, but right opposite. So you kind of complement other flavors to it, which is my favorite thing as well. And uh, what, what's the most important thing in that regards is that you look uh, what's on a plate. It's not just the main protein, but what sauce it is and what side dish is in there as well. It's like you're almost looking for the body of the dish and then you then you match it with the body of the wine. When you so that, are yeah. oh there you go on. So that's a few of my tips what what I do when I'm uh, when I'm building the degustation menu. Yeah. Do they change if you're in a different region? Um, because you're in Australia right now, is it different mm -hmm. compared to being over in Europe? Yeah, it is a little bit. You know, Australia is so big, but you know, it's it's becoming quite. Um, the regions are um, so different in Australia as well. So you have, obviously you have some cool climate pockets in Australia. Otherwise, it's a new world, and um, the weather and the climate's quite quite warm here. So um, the the, the sugar level in the grapes in, in the harvest is always a little bit higher than in, in Europe, but you know it's um it, it's a little bit different. I mean, like you have a, a lot of re regional cuisine in in uh, Europe, which uh, it takes me back to that uh, wine pairing. For example, you have this beautiful sunset Sauvignon Blanc from Loire Valley. It goes really well with the goat cheese, you know, and uh, Austrian Riesling, perfect with Wilschnitzel, you know, Viennese specialties or that. Uh, Austrian Zweigel, which is right, uh, red uh, red grape, it goes really good with uh, Teffel Spitz. That's their boiled wheel. You know, it's just a, it's matching heaven. But you know, it's the regional thing. Definitely, it, the the matching is really important. Argentina has its famous barbecue asado. You know, goes really well with their Malbec style of um, wine or beef bourguignon you know you have it with burgundy pinot noir it's just the perfect stuff so yeah it's really really it's another rule of thumb that um regional cuisine goes um goes well with the with the regional food what's your favorite dish with wine pairing mm. <laughs> it changes quite a lot but um i, I think I, I like um at the moment i think i really enjoy um Tasmanian uh, sparkling with their with their oysters. I really like that stuff. Or if that comes to seafood, I really still like Chablis. You know, some some nice Chablis. It can be even. It doesn't need to be Premier Cru. It just needs. Yeah, it's just a Chablis with uh, seafood. It's just my favorite. And like lately, I really enjoyed um, Tasmanian sparkling with oysters. That's something I would go for every day. <laughs> New York is a leading city in another form of innovation what was it like working there you know if you like food spirits and wine then all the fuss about new york is true it's surely the best place to work it's like all cultures and new trends and energy culminates and in this is in this indescribable bus that is alluring the best bar i've ever been to are there not just the bar culture with its pro prohibition history, which I really enjoy. There's so many bars with that prohibition touch, which is so cool. Um, How is but, it different? Yeah, that, um, I think I think the history because it's actually that's where it was. You know, like when you when you go to, for example, in Paris or London, and they they try to make the prohibition bar there. It's it's good. You know, like sometimes they just make it really feel like it is, 
but like being in New York, it just feels like that's where it happened. And you know, it. I think they can more. They can. Uh, they can. I think they can do it slightly better. I think. But yeah, there's so many to choose from as well. Like, uh, yeah, there's some of my favorite bars in bars in the world for sure. And but the other other venues deliver the city feel as well. Like they're so so good. Yeah. It's a great place to work for sure. How was it working in a Michelin star restaurant? Hey, you know, it's a uh, <laughs> it, long hours for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and you have to love what you do. You know, your passion is your driving force to be the best you can be. The restaurant becomes your baby in a sense. And the guests can feel it as well so and there's a lot of hard work involved and high expectations from the chef owner and the team and the guests you know so yeah experience is important but it's your altitude which leads you to a success and eagerness to learn and uh, a drive to progress having the, the support process? of what was the process of working in there uh, so firstly, you have to be selected. So you have a few, you have a few interviews, and um, then you you start from the bottom. So you do, uh, you do a lot of polishing, a lot of cleaning, and make sure you know your menus. And then you test it on the menu and until you're ready. Then you start being like a junior waiter or junior sommelier, and then you more are guided. Uh, with a like a senior sommelier or senior waiter, so who just make sure that you, you're ready to go, and then you uh, end up taking your section or your uh, your role, which would be, for example, for a few months you can be just doing a bread, you know, it's a, a fancy fancy uh, presentation of bread, and then you you end up doing, you know, just a, a, you know pouring the sauces, you know, and because it's more uh, like a multiple service, you know. For example, if you have a table of two people, uh, the place where I work would be like two or sometimes three waiters on that table, doing their doing their things, doing their roles. But then uh, when you when you with wine, then you you your own pretty much, yeah. So after working in a Michelin star restaurant. When you were transitioning into another like job, was mm -hmm. it easier because you were working in such a prestigious atmosphere before? Uh, well, luckily I went to a really, really good hotel which didn't have a Michelin star, but uh, it, it had a high profile. And because, for example, Mandarin Oriental had in the world has few Michelin star restaurants. For example, the the one in London, who who uh, is run by Heston Blumenthal, who's got three Michelin stars. So the standard is like um, set really high, whatever the restaurant has Michelin star or it doesn't. So it was kind of really really good trans uh, transmission for me. So um, I mean, um, I think I was ready for that restaurant regardless. But you know, because they were <laughs> They were really uh, oriental, oriental dishes uh, or cuisine oriented, and there. So um, I'm, it might take them a little while to obtain a recognition like that, like in terms of Michelin star, because they're in Prague. Nowadays, it's quite trendy that you do local dishes, 
and then you have a high chance to get a Michelin star. But the philosophy of Mandarin Oriental is, it was more to bring the Asian cuisine to, to Europe. So, so it, it takes them a little while, I think, and it, I'm pretty sure they will, they will get it eventually because it, it was such a fabulous restaurant and they're doing it so well. It has so many creative chefs, and that's where I started with the with a molecular mixology as well there so it was really good yeah if you were to create your own wine what would that mm-hmm. be Ooh. <laughs> well um you know what my granddad actually he he makes um he makes wine and he has a little a little vineyard so sometimes i'm 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 thinking if he could do if you could do something together, excuse me, but um, but um, I, I love Chardonnay, and I love the balance with um, freshness and um, and the oak in the Chardonnay and the body of the Chardonnay. So maybe maybe something like something like that one day, like Merceau, you know, I would like to make that, <laughs> but who knows. Working as a brand ambassador to Remy Martin, one of the world-leading cognacs, what would you tell a first-timer about Remy Martin? And what is the science behind it? Yeah, I love that cognac. Yeah, uh, Remy Martin was founded uh, in 1724 and has grown its reputation as a luxury brand and the best quality spirit ever since. Um, the science behind it is that Remy Martin chooses their grapes from the finest appellations of the cognac region. So it's a Petit Champagne, Grand Champagne, and with its chalky soil, it's great and has a really good potential for aging, which is really important for cognacs. You know, and the company always makes sure that the, the master blender is well trained as it's ready to take over the family secrets of uh, blending of their precious cognacs. And some of them are aged over 100 years, you know. So so selected French oak barrels are really important as well from uh, Limousin. And, you know, this procedure can take decades to be trained in alongside the current um, master blender. There are also other aspects uh, which play an important role to complete, like uh, distillation and vinification. So there are a lot of lot of science behind that for sure. A um, lot of secrets too. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.